Welcome to How to Save the World podcast, an awesome podcast about sustainability and how to be sustainable in New Zealand or anywhere. Um, I'm here with myself, Waveney Worth, and... Me, Tim Batt. Hello. Hello, Tim. Nice to see you again. Great to see you, Wave. So, today we're going to be talking about eco-pets. Yes. Which somehow makes me visualise pets with a green cape on them. Yeah, that's what came to mind for me as really? well. It was like a dog that was dressed up like Captain Planet. Yeah, yeah. Flying around. Yep. So that's what we're doing. Um, we're going to be finding out how bad it is. Um, and it is bad. Uh-oh. So we're going to be looking at the footprint of Western pets. Um, what a sustainable version of our love would look like for pets. We look at dealing with toilet waste, pet paraphernalia, flea treatments and feeding. And then the big question is, should cats and dogs be vegetarian? Such a hot topic. Huh. You're looking at me like you've never thought of that before. Never. But you've been been vegan and you've got a dog. It's never crossed your mind. Nope. Cool. This is the episode for you. Um, I hope it's not going to be too much of a transformative downer for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all in, I'm all in for the learning. Yeah, and I, there's there's I guess there's not that we're going to dwell on it because I think at the end of the day, of course, you're not going to give up your furry friends. But it's worth considering the question if it if owning as, a as pet the, turns as the out the conclusion of this, I should put my dog down. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> that where we're headed. No, I'm saying that even if it was, well, you wouldn't, right? But but it's it's still interesting to ask the big question of. You know, if owning a pet turns out to be worse than, say, flying, mm. should we give up owning pets? Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Um, I think that then, of course, you've got the well-being question on that you can counter that with. Or Yeah, I've and, got a lens which maybe I'll apply at the end. Yeah, but it's like, hey, we're doing all the sustainable stuff so we can stick around. Why do we want to stick around? Yeah. So we can experience a bit of joy and happiness. I know. It's, not, it's, it's, it's very similar to the children thing, I think, as yeah, well. It's exactly. like there are just some things that we don't, as humans, um, give up. So I've put this out to a group of what I would call guru eco pet lovers. And... Um, I got some really interesting replies back from people just asking them that sort of that big set of questions. And um, I had one woman say, carbon footprint big, benefits big, alternatives. Well, I've got a stuffed bear, but the cuddles aren't as good. (laughs) (laughs) It's a very succinct Yes, that's what I thought too. It was very succinct. And um, another friend who, like myself, doesn't have children just said, all she said was, suspect it's a lot more sustainable than having children. Yeah, it's a point. (laughs) Yeah, it is a point. And then um, another guy said, despite loving cats and dogs, um, he's made the decision not to have another but has become quite close to a group of cows down the road, which he calls his Beastie Boys. That's so nice. So, like, like actually, for meat eaters, uh, that's kind of almost a little bit like the meats we choose to eat. There's some that we just eat without thinking, and yeah. then there's others like, oh, you wouldn't do that. It's weird. And it's, it's very similar with so pets, weird. though, right? Yeah. Like, you know, where there's certain animals that we think, oh, no, that's the ones that we have as pets, and then others that we think, oh, couldn't possibly be cool. Yeah. Do you um, know what I've always wanted as a pet since I was a kid? A mini pig. A big pig. No, did I get it right? You a did. Pig. You nailed it. Absolutely. Yeah. Maybe I give <laughs> off a pig energy. <laughs> I hope not, but. um, You want a big pig? Yeah, big fat pig. <laughs> I just think they're so cool. 
They're really smart too. Pigs yeah, I've heard are super that they're intelligent. Smart. Yeah. But then you read Animal Farm and it's like mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's start off by talking about the footprint or as um, Mother's Invention, you know, called podcast, Other Side of the World. Uh, they call it the print. Nice. Nice. So there was a major study in 2017. It was the first of its kind and it was actually this huge shock. I remember when it came out. It shook us all because it was really the first time that we'd thought about um, keeping pets um, and it turned out this study, it was a US-based study that um, pet keeping worldwide makes a hugely significant contribution to our current ecological crisis. Um, so the study assessed the environmental impacts of cats and dogs in USA and found that this um, that the cats and dogs were responsible for 25 to 30% of the environmental impacts of all meat consumption. Twi- wow. A quarter. Over yeah, a quarter. Over a quarter. Of all meat consumption. My goodness. Huge. So much bigger than I would have thought. Like I would have been staggered is, yeah. at 10%. Yes. You know? Yeah, me too. As if this is something you've never thought of before, that's the downer. That there is an environmental cost to having a well consider me down because I had not (laughs) thought about this. (laughs) Sorry, Um, yeah, and then that's I mean there's the millions of tons of um, inappropriately disposed of Mm -hmm, mm feces, and then they're saying at least fifty million tons of carbon dioxide equivalent methane and nitrous oxide as well, just from mostly from not the pets but Mm -hmm. um, the through the farming of the, the. animals for the food that they have Um, so yeah I I think we sort of mentioned in our last Christmas episode if you are on the verge of spontaneously getting someone a pet for Christmas don't it should be very well thought through yeah Yeah, I mean the closest I've come is I I got my wife a dog and I was actually going to buy the dog but then even that I was like no I can't do that We've got to go get the dog together so I just got all the things for a dog choose together don't you and that was my spouse so, you know, yes, it kind of requires, exactly. I think, that sort of relationship to be able to be in a position to know that they... It's a big commitment for the an- for the animal itself as well, eh? Um, so, I thought we're going to cover off, you know, a few basics, like I mentioned, but I thought, well, let's just get right in there and start with diet, because that's the big one. Um, so, there is... Um, oh, it's a divisive thing, the whole whether or not you should... What what dogs and cats naturally eat, and what what's cruel, or what what you know, it's really what's divisive. appropriate. What's appropriate? So, um, acclaimed author Esther Wolfston has, and she actually she's written a book uh, that an excerpt of which became the most shared and most read Guardian long read ever, and it's Whoa. all about how we treat our pets. Wow. And the book's called Between Light and Storm. So uh, she asks, the, it's a really good way to think about it. Um, feeding our pets involves similar questions to the ones we ask about feeding ourselves. Is it healthy, affordable, necessary, ethical, and environmentally st- sustainable? And environmentally sustainable. So um, it's good to just ask those questions and the sorts of things I'm asking myself when I'm feeding myself is, is it in season? Is it yeah. local? Is it organic? It is stupid, isn't it, that I pay such close attention to that for my diet, but not for my doggies. Yeah, it's a good, it's definitely a good thing to think about. Um, so one thing that I've heard so many people say, and it's been solace for myself as well, is that, oh, well, it's not really that 
bad because the dog food or cat food is using grades of meat that isn't fit for human consumption. So therefore, it's just a byproduct. Um, so that it's not so bad. But the study that I mentioned before actually starts off by myth busting that big time and says that um, the those byproducts when they say they're not fit for human consumption actually is less true than it used to be because increasingly we're feeding our pets high quality meat and then also much of what's regarded unfit for human consumption actually is fit for human consumption it's just aesthetic right so um the 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 paw print is is there if, yeah. if you're feeding your cats and dogs meat so first off um i found out that cats and dogs are different like in terms of what they congratulations on that discovery <laughs> yes, i was quickly adding my caveat the um Cats, uh, you feed cats meat almost seems to be without doubt what the discussion lands with. Um, um, There's heaps of discussion online about vegetarian dogs, but not the same for cats. So cats need taurine um, and you can only get that through eating meat and there might be a synthetic kind of replacement perhaps, but um, it's a long way from their natural diet. For dogs, it looks very similar to the um, dairy milk versus plant milks arguments, um, uh, which was sort of like, um, rather than arguing that it's harmful for dogs to give them a 100% meat diet, which a lot of people do, or harmful to give them a 100% vegetarian diet, it's actually just more helpful to say that dogs have a very wide natural capability, like humans. My concern with my dog has always been that we give the dog one type of food forever, and it just cuts down the amount of that kind of gut bacteria. It just it, it's, it's like a monoculture, right? It's just getting one type of fuel in there, and it's probably harboring a very um, undiverse band of gut bacteria, which probably makes them more susceptible to things going wrong. Mm. That's always been my suspicion. Yeah. Although I do know diet, with dogs that, um, if you change their diet, you have to do it quite yes, carefully yeah, because they totally. do, they, they actually get used to what they're eating. So, um, yeah, so it looks like it's, um, something that we can go either way mm. on. Um I mean without a doubt, uh meat protein is their is their naturally occurring preference. Um and there's lots of studies that back that up. But um on the other hand there's there's people who say that we've actually kind of humanized a dog diet to be more heavy meat eaters than what they perhaps could have been. Um because they do have a scavenger gut microbe yeah. that um they're actually able to eat all sorts For, foragey things yeah yeah um so we can't really answer the question is it cruel to be vegan for your dog um because it's just such a loaded thing and i'm not putting myself forward as a um an expert here but but it sounds like there's a lot of scope exactly, for, for yeah. more variety yeah, than yeah. just giving your dog the normal exactly one yeah thing. and and the advocate suggests that it's um it's equally possible to achieve a balanced diet if you do your research. Um, it, it, 
as and it's the same as if you're human if you're not doing your research um it's you whether a dog or a human you can have a nutrient deficiency if you're not mm. getting a balanced diet so mm. it's just about um spending the time um to do to do things a bit differently and, um, and yeah. also i would just say don't be put off by the word research as well because it's, it's it, lots of people care deeply about this there's so many people who are dog and cat experts that the information is quite readily available to go and look at. I mean, ideally, you'd be on the journey with a professional or an expert like mm. a vet. Um, uh, but it can be hard to find, like perhaps your local vet or whatever, uh, being open to the conversation. Um, but uh, that would be ideal if you actually had someone who had that professional background who yeah. could help you navigate the pitfalls of the internet. I guess the other thing to note like I said, I'm not going to put forward an opinion, but one of the people I emailed who um, came back with some really thoughtful stuff said that that vegan dog diet, same for human diet too, comes under a lot of criticism and scrutiny. Um, but when a dog's raised on cheap dog food from the supermarket, which is often full of animal inappropriate fillers, including gluten-based stuff, mm. um, this is oddly unquestioned. Yeah. So I thought that, I mean, and then, I mean, how far do you go with this? Because then you say, well, what if you can't afford anything else? And so totally. it's, I think it's just a graciousness, isn't it? Of, yeah. of us all having different, we're all in different places with different um, restraints and different ideas. Totally. Yeah. I think it just, um, like so many of the things we talk about, boils down to moderation, a bit of moderation and consideration. Mm. Mm. Have, a, have a think about it. Mm. Yeah. And also figure out, because it's weird, some dogs like some things. My dog really loves capskin, anything that he can get a crunch out of, huh. which is really lucky for us because it means we can use carrot and capsicum as a treat for him. Oh, that's great. So if you kind of experiment, but conversely, bloody hates lettuce. Can't stand it. So if you <laughs> experiment with like different um, vegetables, for example, you could find something that your dog really likes, which is actually good for them. And great. Kind of trick yeah. them into using it yeah, as a treat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I've got a few recommendations great. Um, of what you can do. Uh, and... I have to say, like, last time we owned a dog, I wasn't really thinking much about sustainability. And so this time, I've because now we've just got Bingo over here in less for a year, I'm going to make some changes after looking. And I actually looked into prices as well, and I was very pleasantly surprised right. how um, some of the good stuff wasn't nearly as expensive as I thought. So um, the the very best thing you can do is the thing that's almost impossible for urban people and that's um, just feeding your dog um, wild caught um, or roadkill right. uh, just like literally uh, it's a pest in the wild and give it to your dog, possums it's great um, so that's number one on the list and of course whatever is surplus so um, we had a, a home kill recently which for people who aren't familiar with the term definitely needs description oh true it's what, <laughs> it's what we say in New Zealand meaning for when you have an animal killed on your property so the butcher will come to you and kill it so it's called a home kill um, and there's all the awful and all, all of the a lot of stuff that um, typically we humans don't want and so the freezer is now full of all that stuff for the dog awesome um, so that's that's number one but you know let's be realistic it's a um, hard thing for people to um, replicate um, leftovers is great but I would just put in a bit of a, a you know just think about why have you got leftovers <laughs> like I would very very rarely have something um, that 
where is is large enough to feed a dog that um is, is surplus. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. I think it can be a bit of a Oh, a bit of an excuse, I guess. It's like, oh, we're being sustainable because we're we're giving our dog our leftovers. But gotcha. it's like, yeah. yeah, you're just cooking yeah. the meal for the dog. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which, like I said before, can be quite a good option compared to some other things. Depending actually, on what so you're cooking yeah, up. yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, next on your list would on the list would be to ask your butcher. Um, they can sometimes have special things that they've prepared for dogs that you might not realize, or cats that you might not realize. You can see the bias, eh? Natural, <laughs> both you and I. But anyway, cats Bloody and dog dogs. Owners. So our local butcher, for example, has frozen possum meat patties that you can just buy for your dog. Huh. Um, and you can get you can get offal. You might be able to get offal or cheap cuts. Um, it's just worth asking. It's often the stuff that you can't see or isn't accessible. Yeah. And then just bring your own container and you're plastic free. Um, then cooking your own meals for the dog is, um, is a, is a good option. It takes a bit more time, but, um, you know, you could argue that perhaps if you've committed to having a dog, then. Honestly, something I really want to do. Here's where, here's the picture I have in my head. Get a big, huge, like, soup pot. We've got one of those, like a really big one and just do a whole lot of something and then put it in the freezer. freezer. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, so you can combine, you can actually, by cooking it up yourself, you've just got control. So you can go to the butcher, get the meat that I just mentioned. Then you can get um, dry, bulk, organic grains and things. Um, and then there are recipes online. I'll put a link in. Um, there's one online called dogideas.net. Um, and they've got best homemade dog food recipes, which I looked at and thought, yeah, this looks sensible to me because it was like there was meat in it, but as but there was other stuff as well. Lots of veggies? Uh, yep, veggies and grains. Rice. Um, so it's, it's um, you know, the, the, the dogs will be eating stuff that you know where it's come from. Yeah. And so by contrast, I'm looking at the feed I currently give Bingo and – it's dry food. It's yeah. like, you know, the stuff that you get at Animates or, you know, like a, yeah. a vet shop as opposed to the supermarket. Mm. So, you know, apparently it's better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I have no idea and I definitely know it's not organic. Mm. Um, and so I thought, well, this is a good way of um, ensuring that I've, I actually know what he's eating and I've yeah. got more control over it. Um, then another idea, not necessarily and, ranked. Sorry, can I just add yeah. to that? It's not just about ensuring that your pet is, is eating organic food. It's also about removing a demand off a non-organic crop, about like not supporting a non-organic crop. Absolutely, that's right. It's a, I think we It's uh, not all about help. the dog. No, we can't help but have a human scale. Like we like cats and dogs because they're relatable to us in their size, but... Um, you know, what's really the difference between them and all of those microorganisms in the soil that mm. we're quite happy to blitz. Um, so, yeah, we could think of them as billions of little pets. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the Raw Dog Food Company is another, um, which is really common. So Matthew and I, my husband and I, spent a couple of years house-sitting, and there's always a dog involved. Um, and it was really, I was really surprised how common it was. Um, so people are buying raw food. It's typically frozen in cubes. And then um, there is a whole science behind it. So um, parts of the... What are the tripe? 
yeah, uh-huh. uh, and uh, all sorts of other organs and things. And so you buy them all in balance because, you know, the dogs and cats would have been eating whole animals, not just the muscle meat. Mm-hmm. And so it provides this balance. And apparently the tripe puts in the right sort of, you're talking about gut microbes mm. before, so really good for your dog to have some, even if you did nothing else, you could just get a bit of that. Stinks to high heaven. Horrible stuff. <laughs> Which I guess is why it's frozen because you don't want to. Yeah, but then you've got to defrost it. And man, you do not want to touch it. Use tongs. Um, <laughs> I hate You're not making it. it sound like a very appe- appealing option here, Wave. Oh, get hard. It's all good. <laughs> 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 um, and then, of course, you can add it to the raw food, which is just meat. You can add in, you know, rice or whatever and pat it out a bit. So I did um, some price comparisons and found out that the bulk dry food that I'm buying is the same price as getting the frozen raw food. I was so wow. surprised because that was probably actually the main reason I didn't. Yeah. Um, I just thought, oh, you know. Some people go to lots of effort and spend lots of money. Totally. That's yeah. my assumption as yeah. well. Yeah. And then, um, no, it's um, really comparable. Huh. Comparable. Yeah. Uh, but there, there, there's, um, depending on the brand of dry food you get, there's some cheaper and some more expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jimbo's is worth a bit of a shout out. Um, that is an option. It's good to have a range of options. And this one is for just you're at the supermarket, you're busy, it's super easy. Um, comes in a plastic bottle, which is number five, which isn't as good as one or two could be, but better than the others. Um, yeah, and so this is just uh, minimally processed fresh meat and it's um, muscle meat and offal and it's from Free Range New Zealand for Animals. That's cool. Really? I see Jimbo's everywhere in the supermarket, yeah, so that's like yeah. a good accessible, you don't have to yeah. go to a pet store. Yeah, that. yeah, it's great. Good thing to transition while you're thinking about if you're yeah, going to get your head around something else. Um, and they were really cheap as well. Like cheaper than the dry food, but of course way more packaging because you're buying almost individual mm, serving true. size. Yeah. Now, it turned out, I emailed a couple of people um, that, because there were people that had products on their websites that looked really eco-friendly, but they were advertising them as dog treats, which I'm a bit hardcore. Right? I think I don't, my dog doesn't need special treats. <laughs> But if I could find a nice sustainable for his dog food, then I would have been buying the product. So I emailed to say, hey, why is your product a treat, not a meal? And um, the answer came back that uh, it's actually really hard. There's lots of standards that you have to meet in New Zealand. And it's much easier just to say it's a treat than it is uh, food. Ah. So that's it's actually quite easy to get sustainable cat and dog treats because there's a lot out there. It's just a lower bar. Yeah. Wow, um, that never would have occurred to me. I just assumed it was because treats are usually like super high calorie, and that's why you. Well, I think do that them can be training. true. That can be true too. Um, you can make your own dog treats quite easily, actually. Lauren Singer, who is famous for trash for tosses, has a trash is for tosses. Sorry, okay. a bit different. Um, and you can get organic whole wheat flour, peanut butter, and chicken stock, and make up. As many dog treats as you like. It's super easy, actually. I was pretty impressed. Right. Um, and then, of course, off to the butcher again. You get some bones. Um, even the pet food st- – sorry, the pet shops have got um, unpackaged bits of animals, haven't they? Yeah. Like, um, ears or trotters or whatever. Yeah, and those big – cow bones that they really love just sinking their teeth into. Yeah, so all of that's really not too bad at all. I think I'd be quite happy buying all that stuff. Um, uh, assuming you're already over the idea of killing animals. I know from the 
rankings when they do the meta stud- studies of um, how much CO2 equivalent gets produced by different types of food, like one kg yes. of chicken versus yep. beef. Chicken is way Lower. better. Yes. Um, dogs love chicken. So if you're giving beef treats, you might want to consider chicken because it, I imagine, would have a lower that's great. impact. Yeah, that's, I didn't look impact. into that. That's really cool. Um, I am going to give a little shout out now to the most original thing, um, and it kind of almost answers the vegan versus not vegan question. Coming soon, Insect Direct, which is an is a New Zealand based insect breeding company, uh, producing dog treats out of cricket. Protein. Ah, oh, great! I am so interested and, in these insect proteins. Yes, and um, the other like these guys that you know when you just come across a real, true, blue, legit eco company because yep. they also they've got they need grain and so they're using spent grain from the bear making process That's and putting so the two things good. together. So look out for that. Um, that is, uh, we will absolutely be doing an episode on insect protein because I'm so interested in it. Well, we can get this guy along, maybe. That um, would be great. So that, if you want to check them out, it's insects spelled with a Z, so that classic thing we like to do in New Zealand by making <laughs> NZ out of all these things. So insect, direct, or one word, dot co, dot NZ. Do you know if they do human food? Yeah, I think so. Cool. I'm going to go on their website immediately after this. And then... Um, also, if I mean, I just did a very simple Google search, and then um, Green Elephant Online Store came up. Have you come across them before? They're I pretty. They're pretty big. It's a New Zealand-based green online store, and they've got a lot of products. Um, they had a range of dog treats there, all packaged and stuff. I mean, frankly, I think Bingo's got the right idea, just not having any. But you know, whatever. If you if you're in the market anyway, and you're buying them anyway, then you mm. may as well get something that's actually organic and good on the inside. Totally. Yeah. Um. There in endeth the food section. Shall we charge on to toileting? Oh, yes. Please, let's. This is, so I might not have had a lot of consideration of the food thing going on in my head, but I think about the poo a lot. So the best thing is to just leave it where it lands, but of course in urban environments that's a big no-no. Um, so it's awesome for us on the farm. I am loving having to leaving the poo where it lands. Yeah. Um, but dogs yeah. are pretty good as well of finding a spot. They that's do out dogs of the way. and cats. They're great yeah. actually. Um, but otherwise, you basically what what do you need? You need to pick it up. So you need some way of picking it up. Um, you need to dispose of it. And in some cases, particularly for cats, you need to provide something as a toileting area. So you kind of got those three things. Um, so firstly, picking it up. Um, this is kind of like a the same old classic hierarchy that we go through with sustainability. It's like, yes, you could have a, um, a say, a plastic bag that you've reused, but that's not nearly as good as um, an object that is going to be reusable forever, like, say, a shovel. Mm-hmm. Um, so at home, um, I like, say, when I was living in an urban environment, um, we used to have a, a little hand shovel thing so we could avoid having to use... Like a trowel. Yeah, a trowel, exactly. Yeah, something like that. And then we, we had a little dog toilet, which I'll get to, that we used to put them in. So that was great. Out and about, there are products that you can buy that are similar. Personally, not convinced that you could have that in your handbag. Oh, right, yeah. Yep. Not feel a bit weird about it. Mm-hmm. But um, but there are options out there. Tongs is another option. What if you could put like a sheath 
on a trail. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> you could do something like that with tongs quite easily as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, it's not that hard, is it? You could easily have you could, that. You do something. Yeah. yeah. Um, they don't have to be big tongs. That's uh, Yeah, actually, that's interesting. Challenge I, yourself. Yeah. I'll challenge myself. Because half of the thing with the bag is that it's just the easy way of picking it up. Mm. Um, because it's kind of all in one if that's what you're using to dispose yeah, as well. Yeah. Which um, I'm about to be told is not the thing to do. Not the thing to do. Well, you know in yeah, your I knew, heart I knew it's that. not the thing to I do. Um, and you could also, um, there's paper as well. You could use that instead of Can I just put a little disclaimer out here because this is just a a little brief bit of knowledge that I've got from when I butt up against the medical community because my wife's a doctor. Yes, let's do this. If you are pregnant, you should not be messing around at all with cat poo and you should research that. Yeah. And Um, same for the toileting too, actually. like You've got to be very careful, especially with both of them, but especially with cat poo. Um, you certainly don't want to be doing anything near your vegetable garden or anything like that. Yeah, but there are ways. There is I think a, that's why a lot of people end up putting it in the landfill, but there are ways of yeah, doing it but really for, well. For most people, the risk is a uh, major, but there is a very specific risk for pregnant women with cat feces in particular. So Good just if, you, if you're in that particular boat, um, just go online and do some research from reputable sources or ask your doctor because they will know about that. That's awesome. Um, so the other option that I'd say is probably the, the easiest transition away from a plastic bag is some sort of a bio bag, um, biodegradable bag, um, which there's heaps on the market, um, but you really need something. It'd be interesting to see what you've got too, Tim, that is um, certified home compostable. Mm. Has to be certified and has to be home compostable, not just certified compostable, because um, unless you are actually putting it in an industrial compost um what about paper what bags. about paper paper bags they're compostable yeah this is what i mean like could you not just use paper that's bags? what i said before just oh, use right. paper bags yeah yeah, yeah right yeah gotcha. um but i mean that clearly sometimes wouldn't be great for all the poos that come out but a bit runny sometimes yep. stinky all mm-hmm. that um, so that's why a bio plastic bag is just because it's so fit for purpose, so easy. Um, but I was just saying, you know, like word of warning if you are going down that road, it's actually very hard to get a. I thought I had one, um, but then I've just recently because I googled them part of the research for this and found out that um, they're certified compostable for an industrial standard, which just means it clogs up your worm farm or whatever. That's the thing I went yeah. through with the yes, coffee you would cups. Have. you would have. Oh, and for the, the dog bags themselves, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. But this was like, this is the thing that I went through with the coffee cups before, and that's why I've just got to keep, I was like... This is going to be another episode in itself as well, because just even in the last, well, since we've been doing this podcast, um, the bioplastic packaging like plant-based plastics and stuff or compostable plastics has gone through the roof. Like it used to be confusing but negligible and now it's just everywhere and still confusing. Yeah. Park that for now. Yeah. So so, um, I can put a link um, up so you can get a bit more information about them. Um, And they're onto the... Um, the toilets. Mm-hmm. So basically what you need is uh, no need to really, no need to buy anything. It's this very basic concept. So you can just do a DIY subterranean compost farm, worm farm. Cool. Um, that sounds to me like a hole. <laughs> 
That was our first version, actually. Matthew and I just went and dug a hole. Um, and actually, that is all you need. So basically, if you have um, any sort of a – like I used an old recycling bin, um, and then you just need to make sure that – it's essentially the sides that you need. That's all you need so that the hole doesn't fall in on itself. Ah, okay. Yep. Um, and yeah, then, that makes sense. And then you want a lid so the children don't fall into the cesspit. Yeah, yeah. Um, and – that's so. When I made mine, I um, I got an old recycled bin, a crate, you know, and um, I turned it upside down. I drilled a big hole or made a big hole in the top, and then I inserted a PVC pipe, um, which was the chute, and then I buried the entire thing so that you could only see the chute. Ah, gotcha. Yeah. So there was, okay, so there was a little pipe that went down into a bigger cavernous yes, area yes. under the ground. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And that's basically it. That's all you need. And um, I added my version two. I had, I drilled holes all through the sides of it so that the worms could get in and out. Because mm-hmm. unfortunately, I created a situation where we had a mass drowning event because they couldn't get out. And when the water table rose. Did you? Accidentally genocide some worms. I did. Oh no! So everybody does it. Okay. <laughs> time to time. Um, yeah. So I added that little feature in, um, and you can, if you're using a biodegradable bag, you might want to just, you know, open it a little bit before you throw it and just help the worms out. So you can check out um, rubbishfree.co.nz, which is our website. Has um, Information. We've got a special pets page, and you can find out how to make one there. And also, Compost Collective have um, also got some great links there, and that's compostcollective.org.nz. Here's yeah. my question, though: can I, can I put dog poo in the compost? No. Yeah, I didn't think so. Yeah, um, it's not safe. Yeah, yeah. So, generally speaking, you know how you do want manures and composts Mm. you just want the um poo from animals that aren't eating meat of course so we're out dogs and cats are all out yeah 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 um and then also then the idea with this is that you you fill it up with the poo um and then worms will naturally find it but you can actually help the process by scooping some worms out of a friend's worm farm Mm -hmm. perhaps um or by adding a few yummy other little things in that your worms might like to attract them into the area, like um, some half-broken-down compost from your compost heap. Oh, yeah, or cool, whatever. okay. Yeah. Yeah. So if you've actually got a compost heap, find some worms and chuck them in um, yeah. with the, some of the compost. Um, and then the idea is that if you've got your balance right, then it will never fill up. It just keeps the worms, keep everything breaking keeps down. breaking down, and um, you might need to redig a hole um, Three years later or something like that. Especially with your little dogs. Yeah, I imagine probably quite good for the soil as well. It's actually really good. It's really good for the soil. Do you know what I can do in the immediate is getting away from bags. So maybe just having one designated Tupperware container, which is the poo container. Yeah. And and getting a a trowel or um, some tongs and making a little sheath for that. And that is just the designated Yeah, that that would be a big step in the right direction. Because then at a minimum, that's getting rid of the bags. Exactly. And, of course, just a reminder um, that anything that's organic in nature, put it in a landfill, uh, as it's breaking down, it's a really toxic process with a lot of methane involved and then leachate, which is just this awful poisonous liquid that goes round and round. There's not really anything we end up being able to do with it. Mm. But um, cat litter. Mm. 
Um, big issue for cat owners. Yeah. Um, I have a friend, Alex, who um, has a couple of cats living in Auckland, and um, she has gone on this enormous saga of trying to find a sustainable cat litter. And um, it's such a good saga. She sent such a good email. I'm, I'm going to make it the blog. Great. Um, because it's just a genius story. And she goes into all these price comparisons. It's really, really good detail she's got. The so, blog, by the way, available at howtosavetheworld.nz, which we should really mention more. That's <laughs> the website. <laughs> um, so she started off with a with a clay-based, which is for anyone who does the cat litter, they'll be like, yep, yep, know about that. It's 100% natural, made from clay and charcoal, no added chemicals. So it sounds great. Um, and so she happily bought that and she was trying really hard to keep the product and the poo out of the landfill. So she put it in um, a compost and she noticed that it just showed no sign of breaking down. And she said, if anything, it was like concrete, it sort wow. of just the way it reacted. Yep, yep. And um, so in lockdown, she tried giving it to friends and things Um who had bigger properties, um, but then in lockdown she was just forced to put it into the bin, and so she got into she researched it and then found that it's so interesting because I make this mistake myself. I'll be like, oh, that's a wooden, whatever spoon, that's better than this plastic one, and then you stop there rather mm-hmm. than thinking, well, maybe it's from a rainforest that's been yeah. chopped down because of course we don't know, so it's you know in the too hard basket. But anyway, she researched and found that the clay is usually imported. And there is literally no transparency. So from the brands that she was using, which is never a good sign, she couldn't find out what the deal was. Right. Um, so it's usually imported um, from places where they are just strip mining. And so it's actually causing an environmental nightmare. Plus, of course, you've got the um, carbon footprint of traveling of your, a toilet for a cat being yeah. imported from the other side of the world. Yeah. Um, so she started to think about what she could use for an alternative and then came across um, this triple one, 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 um, which is, you know, the wood pellets that you get for fires, special little pellets. Yeah. Yeah. Like fire starters? Or the no, stuff no. You, um, like the, wood chips. Yeah. It's like you can, it's called a pellet burner. And so you, you feed it like with a hopper and uh, you just feed the scoops of pellets in yeah, instead yeah, of wood. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah. Um, and uh, they are way, way cheaper. No toxins, New Zealand made, and just a superbly fit for purpose. Ah! So you use the you use the um, pellets instead of a cat litter product. Business opportunity there. Just buy the pellets, rebrand them as <laughs> yeah. organic. Kiwi sourced kitty litter. I know, it's great. And um, she says that it actually performs better as well. So the way it sort of draws the moisture out and, you know. That makes total sense to me because it's like, it's a more, um, dare I say, kind of natural way of drawing that moisture out. If you've got dried wood, Mm. it would act as a big sponge full of moisture in there. So, yes, actually, that's a good point. So, um, yeah, like I say, read the full version in the blog. Yeah, um, that's so she, interesting. It's just fantastic what she's found out, and she's loving it now. She's able to compost it all really easily, Great. and um, yeah, yeah. Flea treatment. Oh yeah, yeah. We've got uh, we're going to do flea treatment and paraphernalia is coming up. Mm-hmm. That's a short section. It's just like really, 
Um, and then after that, we're looking at natural vegetarian pets. Um, so flea treatment, something I'd never thought about before. Um, and I actually just, well, a friend sent me this link um, of a recent UK study from the University of Sussex that found that the waterways in the UK are routinely and chronically contaminated with the active ingredients from cat and dog flea treatments. Ah. And um, oh, uh, it could well be similar here. It hasn't been studied. Right. Um, so the, there's, there's fripanol. No, I said that wrong. Fipronil. So there's fripronil, which is the most common. Um, and when it degrades, it degrades into compounds that are actually more toxic um, than the product itself. And it's so potent that even at its tiniest concentrations, it's expected to have a significant impact on the insect life in rivers. And it's biopersistent. So it doesn't... Because Zoe and I have had this conversation a lot of times. We're like, how in the hell can this flea treatment work? We've got two different kinds. There's a topical one, a little thing that we squirt on his back, and there's an oral one. We're like, how can a pill stop? Fl- it must I, be so disgustingly potent. I just had never. I mean, I've heard arguments before that perhaps it's not great for the dog, um, but I'd never ever thought about it getting from the cats and dogs into the waterways. By the way, the worst sources of pollution is not dogs running around in streams, although that's bad. So mm. one of my suggestions would be don't treat your dog and then take them to the beach. Mm. I'd say give it a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually it, the worst source of contamination is from outlets, whether it's from storage plants or from wherever. Where, In other words, so if you've been washing your dog at home in oh, the bath, right, 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 it actually right. travels through that storage network and then just straight out to the mm. other side. Um, so very similar to when you're washing your car, um, wash it on the grass. Because that way it can go straight into the soil. The microbes do a lot of processing. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then there's another active ingredient called imidacloprid, um, and uh, similar deal. And if you give one medium-sized dog um, a treatment using that, that contains enough pesticide to kill 60 million bees. So this is something that we haven't even thought about. Um, so I've got a couple of recommendations. I have had a flea infestation before from trying to avoid routine flea treatment and never again. Like it's a big deal, right? It's like you sort of said with the poo stuff. You've got to make sure things are fit for purpose and mm. going to work. Um, so um, having said that, I think that a lot of the advice is that you can move away from just a blanket use of flea treatment, particularly in winter. Depends where you live. Um, so I'm going to treat the dog over summer and then um, just keep an eye on things. So, And then if you don't have fleas, you can keep on top of it with preventative treatments. So there's a couple. There's DE, which is diachromaceous earth, um, which you can spread on bedding, on their bedding. Um not so great for putting on the animal itself because it dries out their skin and you don't want to breathe it uh, either because it's just it's dusty um, and you wash that off after 12 hours. That will kill fleas. They can't – it attacks these sort of skeletal exteriors. Um, huh. um, and then you can also – 
there's there's a there's all sorts of natural remedies you can have. Um, there's a natural support kit for repelling uh, fleas again on green elephant, um, and that the active ingredients in that are kawakawa and black walnut extracts, um, and you just add that to their drinking water, and um, and they've also got a yeast powder that you fluff onto their fur, and so that is like the dichomaceous earth. It's something you can regularly do instead of your blanket flea treatment to keep them at bay. I think it, you kind of would step it up a notch if you discovered a flea. Right. I um, mean, the other thing it sort of. It, does it go without saying, I'm not sure these days, is that um, before we had all of these flea treatments, people used to get fleas. I remember asking my mum, actually, what on earth did you used to do before all of these modern day um, pesticides? And they used to wash things. <laughs> and you can actually get rid of uh, fleas by um, washing everything. You wash their bedding, of course, preemptively is best. Um, and then just whatever else that you feel you might have had, um, like a carpet or whatever. Um, and it's it, washing actually is really effective as yeah. well. Yeah. Failing that, if you are just going to go and buy the stock standard flea treatment, I emailed the people in UK who had the study and I said, hey, my um, flea treatment that I've got here in New Zealand doesn't have either of those active ingredients. I've checked out the... SDS, the um, safety data sheet for it. Um, it's a foxalana, and that says that it's very ecotoxic, but there aren't any studies. So I said, should I be avoiding it? Or, And the scientist said, well, <laughs> he said, the thing you should definitely do is avoid the ones that we have done the studies <laughs> on because we know how bad they are. We don't know how bad that one is. Um, so that would be... I, if I had a choice, um, it was just the one the vet gave me, but um, I will definitely be checking um, my packets to see that um, I don't have those two that have had that study in, which is fipronil and imidacloprid. Okay, time for paraphernalia. Esther Wolferston, who I mentioned before, um, she basically her book is on a study of the history of pets and um her, her excerpt that I mentioned from The Guardian is called Love You to Death, How We Can Hurt the Animals That We Cherish. Um, and she says that something has gone badly wrong with the way we keep pets. It's become an anthropomorphized nightmare of overextended consumption. Good God, I couldn't agree more. I know, it's a beautiful sentence. That is, that is a perfect summing up of how I feel about how we're keeping dogs. Another a friend <laughs> in my house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I mean, this is such a simple one. Unlike dog food, that you've got to work out how on earth they're going to eat. You just look. We are literally we not. I mean, I don't mean you, me, dear listener. Like I, I, I don't. I'm not sort of saying anyone particularly, but generally as a society, we are so in love with consuming stuff that we're doing it on behalf of these animals that are just naturally non-consumers. Exactly. This is kind of a weird corollary to this, but because we've got two dogs now, they've both got their own like water and food bowls. And it's so funny because we keep trying to like separate them out and they just don't give a shit. 
because they don't have that same sense of like this is mine, yeah, that ownership it's thing cool. over property that we have. Yeah, I'm like, man, why are we trying to enforce the worst bits of human yeah, behavior yeah, into seem, these dogs? Yeah, they don't have it. The worst bits. They're just sharing. Yeah, and <laughs> I I think um for something like a bowl um for my dog um. I would just, even if it's not plastic, so say stainless steel or whatever, I'm still aiming to buy that second hand. Uh, just to recognise, if we don't do that, what happens to the old bowls? Like, we can't keep up with this endless stream of buying new for an animal that only lasts 10 years for a bowl that's going to last for a couple of hundred. And the dog doesn't care. The dog doesn't care. <laughs> I mean, the dogs usually eat out of, drink out of puddles. Exactly. They? The worse, the better. A very important yeah. thing to remember when yeah. you're considering which brand you bowl to get. Yeah. So when all said and done, um, there are a few issues there with cats and dogs, and then you know, few things that we can improve on and solve. I think there is a thing of like buying lots of toys for your pets as well at the moment, and I would just re-emphasize the point that the dog or cat or whatever you have, birds, do not know the difference between something you bought at a pet store, which is like made out of plastic, yeah, specifically for a dog, and a stick. or a stick. They really kind of don't know. Like something, Just something anything, that paper you bag, have around. Anything. They, yeah. Yeah. It, they don't know that. That is a toy for them. No, just a stick on the ground yeah. is a toy for them. So just, just have a little consideration that you don't have to especially buy something like rubbery and plastic. And um, mm. that is a conversation I will continue under this roof. Well. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's finish off by just having a little look at the natural vegetarian pets mm. to see if um, – I think if you've got a cat or a dog and you've decided that their high-carbon footprint isn't justifiable, you're going to keep the dog or cat anyway, aren't you? And let's be honest, most of – what we do in modern society is not really justifiable. Like driving here today to record this, you know, probably should have hitchhiked. But it's it's this is just the way we live. So I think it's more like if you're considering, um, if you're in if you're in the position right now of wondering if you should get another dog or um, anything at all. Perhaps you're just starting out wondering. And I think what we do with all the topics on the show is we will provide you a menu. And yeah, this range, is for me range, as well. Yeah, and me. Like, oh, when I before we did get the dog, mm-hmm. I I was aware of all of this, and I actually considered getting a goat. Awesome, but you should get a goat oh, anyway. Well, Wouldn't anyway, a goat I got go the really dog well on your farm. Yeah, and that this is not the same. Yeah. <laughs> um, general considerations is that typically, if they're vegetarians, they are prey animals, which means that they're quite cautious by nature, so they might not be as much fun to play with. There are definitely exceptions, and rabbit owners, I think, particularly, and guinea pig owners will tell you, load of rubbish, and you'll hear these great stories about particularly awesome pets. So, um, But that is a general consideration. And the other funny thing is that carnivores um, get their dietary needs very quickly. They can over maybe five minutes a day, whereas if you're a herbivore, like you see the cows eating all day. Yeah. So it's less likely the animal's going to be snuggled up with you on the couch all day because um, they're going to be need, needing to be yeah, eating. They're grazing more. all the time. Yeah, they're grazing. Yeah. Um, so got six suggestions. Um, rabbits at the top of the list. They're being called vegan cats by oh, rabbit lovers. They're actually apparently great animal friends and they've got a lifespan of about seven to ten years. Wow. That's longer than I thought. Uh, but they are a bit fragile. Sure. 
Um, yeah, you've got to be careful with rabbits. And I think, again, not an expert, but I think it pays to get two because they're very social and they get actually, quite lonely. that is a great point. And so there's this good guide, Best Pets for Vegans, um, on a uh, or for anyone eco-minded, um, on the veganfaqs.com. And um, that has got some really good information. And they always talk about the actual animal's needs around whether – sometimes that's a solitary animal and we'll put them in pairs and then other times it's the other way around. And we just don't think of it much. Mm-hmm. So anyway, it's really good to be aware of what their own needs are. Guinea pigs are a good example of this. It's illegal. This is so cool in Switzerland to only have a single guinea pig. Because they naturally need to have buddies. so Way to go, Swedish law. Yeah. Way to recognise the needs of our furry friends. They've been described as curious social bur- balls of fur. <laughs> so they're, they're looking pretty good, to be honest. That looks like a good choice, a cool. guinea pig, as long as you get a couple. Hamsters, I think, are they illegal in New Zealand? I've, I've got a weird feeling they are, but I don't know what I'm basing that on. I think just because they're not here and they'd be quite destructive if they got out. And apparently they're actually not very good pets anyway. Again, oh. it's hamster owners that are furiously yelling at me right now. Yeah, and I but, might be well off with the illegal thing. But I just, yeah, I don't think we have them here. Apparently they're naturally nocturnal and they just get stressed out by kids trying to play with them during oh. the day. And they often will die uh, before their time of a heart attack. Oh, they're really so just not that kind of comfortable with mm. it all unlike little guinea pigs um fish just want to we shout out to fish because they're better than you think um in terms of uh, the interactivity you can get from a fish um i have a friend who's a, got an aquarium at eye height which i highly recommend his is actually embedded into his wall cool. um but it is it makes an enormous difference the fish sees you it's just like a dog it sees you come into the room and starts swimming all excited wow. and because it's at eye height you just constantly it recognizes different faces so it will give different reactions to different people man that's incredible yeah so fish are kind of cooler than you think they don't meet the furry quota but <laughs> right and then chickens i'm um, only good for some situations but um they can be they're very curious and actually very friendly some people love chickens they're so dumb <laughs> they're just so dumb but chickens are great, I guess, like, they're quite an exciting pet to have for young kids. And obviously you're getting eggs out of That's it as true. well if you're yeah. keeping them and every now and then a chook. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess if you if you know a little bit about what you're doing, they can be part of a, quite a small little eco-urban, yeah. um, sorry, urban ecosystem. Totally. Yeah, you're helping all, all with all sorts of things in your backyard. The other thing with pets to remember as well, like while we're sort of talking about the environmental impact of them, um, which should always be considered with whatever actions we're taking. There is something about if you've got young kids, building the connection to the natural world through an animal can be a really strong thing to kind of imprint in their early life yeah. that they will carry through. That's true. Actually, on that note, I also looked into mini pigs, um, goats and sheep. And on the fa- that was funny, actually. On the face of it, they look like really like you get into it, and it looks like a really good viable option. Um, I also came across a website that well, the, the first hit for mini pigs actually is three major reasons why you don't want a mini pig as a house pet. Um, so a bit of a mixed bag, but uh, they they're I, small. They're and small. I just don't feel like it's a, appropriate for a pig. Keep it in the house. You know? No, well, it could be in your backyard. Yeah, but pig needs. 
pig needs a bit of land, a bit of mud, a bit of dirt, doesn't it? I don't know. Yeah. Okay, let's wipe them we'll off stick, the list. We'll stick to the ones we know. Could I just maybe suggest as well mice and rats? Oh, I didn't do mice and rats. You don't like them? Oh, I've always had I a real soft spot for rats. It's, it's that I'm out trapping them. Gotcha. And I went because actually they're on this list, and I um of the, from this website that I found uh, for best pets for vegans. Yeah, and I didn't. Put I them mean, in. look, there's bad cats out there too. There's feral cats, but in the same way, there's domesticated rats. Yeah, just be careful. With what? They they don't accidentally get out. Oh yeah, and yeah, ruin absolutely. Your trapping program. Yes, totally. But um, but you're right. My, they mice and are, rats are lovely because they're quite cuddly and, and they're little and, and they don't eat a lot and they're very yep. smart and yep. yeah, they can be quite cool. And I think. Rats can can live to be about three years or so, but um, but I think they're a really cool pet idea as well. Awesome, that is it. Eco pets, everybody. Thank you so much, Wave, for doing all the research. Pleasure. And little shout out to Rufus and Bingo, <laughs> and Tui, the newest oh. member of the family here. Yeah. Um, so coming up on how to save the world, we've got our uh, episodes for our road trip to Raglan. Coming up soon. Can't wait. Stay tuned for that. The website, once again, is howtosavetheworld.nz, where we've got the blog, and it's got um, links and information and our thoughts in there, and access to all the episodes and social media as well, which is the Instagram and the Facebook, so you can find everything and pass it on to friends via howtosavetheworld.nz. Howtosavetheworld.nz